So I have a question for you this morning. Have you ever gotten exactly what you deserved? You know, have you ever done something? You don't know if maybe you should do it, maybe you shouldn't do it. And you're, okay, I'll do it. And then it goes badly and you're like, well, you know what? I probably deserved that. I know I have many, 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 many times. I'm a slow learner. I was probably around 10. There's this one time. Um, and my younger brother Levi and I were playing with Legos in our basement, and I, I got mad at him for some reason. I don't know why. I was, he might have taken one of my little Lego guys, or he had a piece that I wanted, and he wouldn't give it to me, and I just all of a sudden got this like flash of rage. So I wound up for a punch, and I'm subconsciously, in the back of my mind, aware that there's footsteps coming down the stairs as I do this, but I'm too angry to really pay attention to that. So I wind up, and as I swing, I make eye contact with my dad, who's, who's rounding the corner, as I hit Levi in the arm. And Levi starts crying, and I just look at my dad in terror. And all my dad says is, well, that was bad timing. And I subsequently got what I deserved. And I think, uh, I just say that to illustrate, the Bible's full of accounts of people Uh, who get what they deserve and full of accounts of people who get what they don't deserve. In fact, the whole Bible on a broad level is about people, about you and I getting what we don't deserve for what we do. And I'd like to focus today on an event that illustrates this. One of the greatest kings of Judah in the Old Testament is used by God in amazing ways. He takes the people from this moral cesspool, from this this life of sin and idolatry and evil into a relationship with God. He restores the relationship with God. And it's this amazing story of of his leadership and and God's blessing and patience among his people. And in my humble opinion, he also has one of the coolest names in the whole Old Testament as well. And while he's at the top, while it's all going super well, he messes it up. And it all comes crashing down around him and he pays the price for it. His life is is a story of of getting what he deserved, but at the same time of not getting what he deserves. And if that sounds confusing to you, listen up. The reason that you and I should care about this story is because it has implications for us today. When you die, you're either going to get exactly what you deserve And spoiler alert, it's not good. Or you'll get exactly what you don't deserve. Eternal life with Jesus. So before we dig into the passage, would you you just pray with me? Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. Thank you for recording these events for us to learn from and grow from. And I thank you that you speak to us through story, through narrative. I pray, Lord, that you would speak powerfully through me this morning and and through this account. And I pray that you would convict us and challenge us and encourage us to continue to live for you, Lord. Thank you for not giving me what I deserve. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, 2 Chronicles 35 is where... We will be spending our time today, and we're going to start at verse 20. So 2 Chronicles 
35 verse 20, it says, And after all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, went up to fight at Carchemish on the Euphrates. And Josiah went out to meet him. Now I'm going to stop you there because it says after all this. So we're jumping into the middle of a story here. We're going to, I'm going to take a few moments to give us some backstory, some context so that we understand what's happening leading up to this, this moment where Josiah goes out to meet the king of Egypt. So journey with me in your minds back about 2,600 years to the year 628 BC. Josiah, the king of Judah, is standing before all the people of Israel and Judah. God's chosen people who I'd already mentioned they had lost their way, but now they remember God again. They remember the God who had blessed them, who had saved them from slavery in Egypt. And he'd given them this land to call their own. So today is the day, finally, after many, many years of forgetting him, that they remember him. It's the Passover, one of the greatest festivals in, the, in their calendar. And they're all celebrating. It's the first Passover festival in who knows how many years. And today is an amazing day. And as Josiah looks over all the people that God's entrusted to him, he can't help but reminisce on the past little while. Six years ago, the nation was littered with worship centers dedicated to worshiping the false gods Asherah and Baal. These were these false gods that the people around them worshipped, and Israel and Judah had adopted them and kind of blended them together with their own worship of the true God, Yahweh. And they began to worship these false gods as well. And so were these worship centers dedicated to sacrificing to them. There were priests who had dedicated their whole lives to this idolatry, to leading people astray. God's precious people who he loved dearly were hardly distinguishable from the people around him. He had set them apart to be a holy nation, and yet they looked the same as everyone else. Israel and Judah had been living for themselves, and his own people didn't even know who they were who he was. And then that amazing and awful day, just about a year ago, it's unforgettable, the day that the law, the very words of God that he had given to Moses and were written down on scrolls, this law was found in the temple in some back storage room underneath a bunch of garbage or something. And Shaphan, Josiah's secretary, is reading to Josiah the law. This is the first time that anyone has heard these words in in years. And he's sitting in his palace, listening to Shaphan read him the law. But instead of feeling comforted by God's words, he begins to feel dread. This, This fear begins to well up inside of him. And he realizes what he's hearing is not how he's living and not how the people of Israel and Judah are living. They're supposed to be living lives that are pure and clean. This was a code of conduct that God had given to this sinful people so that they could live in relationship with the holy God, but they were not living this way. And this tightness in his chest just grows as he realizes how much the people he ruled over and even himself had forgotten about their heritage, how they'd forgotten about the God who had blessed them, even though he had begun to clear these worship centers and these priests out of the country. It wasn't enough. And the shame and fear 
is unbearable. He falls, he falls to the cold stone floor and he tears his kingly clothes and he weeps. How could this have happened? How have we come so far? I'm supposed to be sinless and clean before my God, yet I feel disgusting. But after the initial shock, a resolve fills him. This has to change. And so the past year was the best that Judah had seen in decades. The religious reform that I talked about previously was monumentous, monumental. And now the whole nation who had once forgotten God, who didn't know who he was, is now celebrating the most magnificent Passover festival since the days of Samuel, who was King David's mentor. And, he, and, he, and just, I just thanks God silently in his heart. Thank you, Lord. This is his mountaintop moment. This is when things don't get any better. It's one of those moments that we all love when we can just step back and look at life and think, wow, this is it. What more can I ask for? Don't you wish life could always be like that? Especially now? This is what's happened. Josiah's brought the nation of Judah from this moral cesspool restored them back into the relationship with God. They're once again living and they're thriving. This is a huge moment in their history. And now we get back to verse 20. This leads us to verse 20. So after all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, went up to fight at Carchemish on the Euphrates. And Josiah went out to meet him. So the king of Egypt, Necho, he's the Pharaoh, he's marching out to war with some other nation, most likely Babylon. And while he's marching there, Josiah, who has nothing to do with either side, rushes in and he intercepts him. Probably trying to impress the Babylonians or something, trying to form an alliance with them. They were kind of the big guys of that day. And so a little nation like Judah could use some backup. So he's trying to impress them. He intercepts them. And then in verse 21, but he, Necho, sent envoys to him saying, what have we to do with each other, king of Judah? I'm not coming against you this day, but against the house with which I'm at war. What are you doing? I have nothing to do with you. And, and, then, and then he says this, which is really interesting. And God has commanded me to hurry. Cease opposing God who is with me, lest he destroy you. So this is kind of weird. The foreign king of Egypt who worships Ra and Osiris and hundreds of other false gods speaks to the faithful, righteous king of Judah on behalf of the true God. And I think we should take special note of this because I think sometimes life happens like that. Sometimes God speaks to us in ways that we don't always expect and, and we should be listening carefully to those things. So verse 22. 
Nevertheless, Josiah did not turn away from him, but instead he disguised himself in order to fight with him. He did not listen to the words of Necho from the mouth of God, but came to fight in the plain of Megiddo. And the archers shot King Josiah. And the king said to his servants, take me away, for I'm badly wounded. And so his servants took him out of the chariot and carried him in his second chariot and brought him to Jerusalem. And he died and was buried in the tombs of his fathers. All Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Jeremiah, the prophet, also uttered a lament for Josiah. And all the singing men and singing women have spoken of Josiah in this day, or in their laments to this day. And they made these a rule in Israel. Behold, they're written in the laments. Now, the rest of the acts of Josiah and his good deeds, according to what is written in the law of the Lord, and his acts first and last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. So what we see in these verses is troubling because the author of Chronicles has just spent the last two chapters describing all these awesome things that Josiah has done for God. He's brought the people out of this this sinful life into relationship with him. He's restored the nation from one of their worst moments to one of their best moments. And he's taken a lot of time. And all of a sudden, this amazing king, the first good king that Israel's had in decades, messes up. And this, this religious reform is pretty amazing. He started it when he was 16 years old. He became king when he was eight. And when he was 16, he began to purge those Asherah and Baal worship centers from the land. As a side note, I just like to say that don't let people tell you that you're too young to make a difference for the Lord. Josiah wasn't even old enough to drive by himself yet. And he had he begun to change a whole country. Follow God wholeheartedly, no matter how old you are. And the Lord will use you in powerful ways. And so Josiah is described as doing all these things, all these things, not only outwardly, but also inwardly. A chapter earlier, he's, he's described as pursuing the Lord with all his heart and all his might. A phrase that echoes King David's description as a man after God's own heart. Josiah was a righteous, godly man, yet after all the good he's done, after wholeheartedly pursuing the Lord with this tunnel-like vision, he messes it all up. He disobeys the command of God. And something I'd like to point out here specifically is that Josiah does not consult the will of the Lord at all or the advice of anyone else. It seems in the text like he makes the decision right away. Seemingly without a second thought. He gets arrogant. You see that? Look, in verse 22, it says, Nevertheless, Josiah did not turn away from him. He ignores God's command through Necho, but disguises himself in order to fight with him. He did not listen to the words of Necho from the mouth of God, but came to fight in the plain of Megiddo. Despite Necho's warnings that disobedience would lead to his destruction, Josiah goes ahead with his plan to go to war. He doesn't care what God says. He doesn't care what anyone else says. And so he goes with his own plan where he's quickly shot and mortally wounded by the Egyptian archers. 
Even the best, most godly leader that Israel had seen in decades has sinned in a huge way and he pays the price for it. So those of you that are leaders, either leaders in the church or in business or in your families, if you're in a leadership position, if you have a degree of influence on anyone, listen up. This account highlights God's perfection. He is so holy that even those who have accomplished so much for him and for his glory and the good of God's people are not beyond his discipline. No matter how much good you've done, no matter how many lives you think you've turned around, no matter how much money you've made, no matter how good your grades are, no matter how many likes you get on Instagram, you are not beyond the discipline of God. He is so holy that he won't let anyone get away with sin. Especially those of us in leadership who are called to a higher standard. This scene brings to mind, I can't help but think of so many of the pastors and leaders in our world who have preached sermons that have been heard by thousands around the globe, who have written songs that are sung in every country, in every language, who then mess up and they come out later and they say, oh, I was living in sin this whole time, or I don't believe what I used to, or I never believed what I said I did. They fall from this place of great influence and leadership because of leaving the faith or moral failure. It's a sad but sobering reminder of what Paul says in Galatians 6, 7. God will not be mocked. And as you know, it's not only famous Christian celebrities that sin. You and I sin every single day. I've sinned in big ways like King Josiah. I've ignored God too. And if all of us here had our mess-ups publicized in the ways that these huge Christian celebrities did or recorded for the rest of people for all of time to, listen, to read about, our reputations would probably be a lot like theirs. And our sin, just like Josiah's sin, it demands discipline. It has lasting consequences. It demands punishment because God will not be mocked by our selfish egos. He will not be mocked when we treat our families like dirt. When we fudge the numbers a little bit. When we lie, when we put ourselves before our friends over and over and over again. Every time we sin, we're spitting in God's face. And we forget just like the nation of Judah did, how much that God has done for us. For me, it's so easy to read stories like this about Judah and Josiah and be like, how stupid are you? How could you mess it up? It was all going so well. And I think about how I do the same thing. Josiah's sin was disobeying the Lord. How often do I do things that I know I shouldn't? How often do you do those things? Do we deserve, do we deserve to die for this? Josiah did. And if King Josiah died for his sin, 
the king that did all these amazing things and pursued the Lord with all his heart and all his might, if, if that man deserved to die for his sin, then I, you and I don't deserve any better than, than he did. Sin demands punishment because God is holy and he cannot and will not tolerate sin in his presence. Just like you can't be in a room that's both light and dark at the same time, God, who is perfect and holy, cannot be in the presence of sin. So here's what I'm trying to say. The same sin that killed this king will kill you. So there's this problem in the text then. There's this sin problem, this problem of Josiah's disobedience. In his pride, he ignores God and instead acts like he's in charge, as if he's got it all figured out. There's this sin problem in his life. And while he's living the dream on this mountaintop, he messes it up and everything comes crashing down. And the sin problem in the text, is also here today. It's the same sin problem in our world today too. Church leaders fall from ministry because of moral failure, because of unchecked, unaccountable authority. And we too sin every day in our words, what we say to people, in our thoughts, what we think, in our actions, what we do because of what we're saying and thinking. There's this sin problem in the story and that same problem exists today and the fatal consequences of King Josiah's pride should cause us to consider seriously how weighty this sin problem is. It's not something that should be treated flippantly. When we mess up, it's not an oh well attitude. Actually, our attitude towards our sin should be a lot more like Josiah's when Shaphan read the law to him and he fell to the ground and he wept. Our sin should deeply, deeply grieve us. It's not a joke. It's not okay. It's heartbreaking. It demands punishment. And the same sin that killed this king will kill you. However, if we read the biography of Josiah carefully. There is grace to be seen in it as well, despite his pride and his sin. There's grace. Look again at verse 24. So his servants took him out of the chariot and carried him in his second chariot and brought him to Jerusalem. And he died and was buried in the tombs of his fathers. All Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. And Jeremiah also uttered a lament for Josiah, and all the singing men and singing women have spoken of Josiah and their laments to this day. They made these a rule in Israel, and behold, they are written in the laments. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah, this is important, his good deeds according to what is written in the law of the Lord, and his acts first and last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. What this is saying here is that although he ignored God and he instead chose to act against him, this man who sinned gravely and he died because of his arrogance, there's a man who is not defined by 
his sin. He's not defined by his pride. When Josiah is introduced as an eight-year-old boy in the previous chapter, he is introduced as a king who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he walked in the ways of David, his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And in this eulogy that we just read in this story, immediately following his worst moment, it talks about his good deeds and his faithfulness to the Lord. It immediately comes after his worst moment, and yet it talks about the good things that he's done, his dedication to God. He was deeply flawed, yeah. He was sinful, and his sin killed him. But this is, the, this is not just a simple story of a guy who started up at the top and ended up at the bottom. This is not the story of Macbeth. It's not the story of Anakin Skywalker. It's not the story of Harvey Dent. This is not a fall from grace, but rather grace in the fall. He's not defined by his sin, and he's actually not really defined totally by all the good things he did either. Now, when you read the account of his life, it's clear that the good, faithful things that he did outwardly are driven by a deep passion for God and his will. Yes, his, his eulogy mentions all the good stuff he did. But these good actions, the revival that he brought to Judah, they aren't just, they aren't just good deeds. They're an outpouring of the obedience driven by his love for God. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul talks about presenting our bodies as living sacrifices and how this is your true spiritual worship. What he means by living sacrifices is this outward working, this dedicating our lives wholeheartedly to the Lord. Living in ways that honor him and please him. And this is the story of Josiah's life. He went against the norm, against what his father did. Against what his grandfather did, against the whole culture of the country because he loved the Lord. He chose the more difficult way of life in order to bring glory to God. And this is living sacrifice. This is worship. And so all the things that he did, that his eulogy is referring to, although they are good, they are not the ultimate measure of his life. This is not a story of a man defined by sin, nor the story of a man saved by all the good things he did. No, it's the story of a good gracious and holy God who could not let sin go unpunished, but who still showed grace to a man despite his imperfection. God's grace covered Josiah's life from the beginning all the way to the very end. And because of the grace of God, not because of anything that Josiah actually did in his own power, but because of the grace of God, he led his entire nation to the true God. And this man is remembered as a good king who was loved and missed by his people. And this is great news for us. Because just how Josiah's identity does not depend on how much good or how much bad he did, neither are we. My life and your life, when they come to an end, will not be measured by God on a scale, a giant cosmic scale weighing how much good we did and how much bad we did. 
Getting to heaven is not this, this kind of uh, measurement of, of, these, of the good and bad, but rather it's because of the grace of God. If, 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 God, if getting into heaven were measured in this way, this giant cosmic scale, you and I are both doomed. We don't have a chance. That's not how God operated in Josiah's day, and it's not how he operates today either. And the reason that this account is in the Bible is to show exactly how inadequate Josiah was, just like we were. He was a king who did a lot of good and a lot of bad. He was flawed, but this flawed king's life is supposed to leave us with that empty feeling that we get when we watch a movie and it all of a sudden ends and there's no closure. That's not the end. There's got to be more. That's it. His life, Josiah's life is in fact supposed to be disappointing to us. And in fact, Josiah is just one of many, many, many kings. Every single king since the beginning of time, from every nation, from every culture, from every time period, every king in history has been killed by sin. Because death is not normal. It entered the world through sin. And so every single king since sin entered the world has been killed by it. But there's one king who is different. One king who was not killed by his own sin, but because of the sins of everyone else, because of the sins of the world. And this king didn't deserve to die like every other king before him or after him. But instead, he chose to die on behalf of everyone else. This king has no flaws. He does not sin. He does not lose. He does not fail. He's a king who will transform mountaintop moments into a mountaintop eternity. And this king wants us in his kingdom. His name is King Jesus. And so, because of King Jesus, my life is no longer defined by me, but by Jesus who loves me and gives his life up for me. Jesus lived the perfect life, and he's also a king who was killed by sin. He died the death that I deserve. He died the death that I still currently deserve. For my sin. And Jesus died for me so that God does not look at me and see the sin that is thoroughly seeped into every atom of my existence, but instead he sees the perfect life lived by Jesus. Jesus' blood washed all my sins away, and his grace has touched every aspect of my being. And God the Father sees Jesus when he looks at me and he calls me his son, he calls me love. And my father then, after adopting a broken and hopeless sinner like me, treats me like Jesus. And he gives me the full inheritance as his son that I don't deserve and allows me to live in his presence forever in his eternal kingdom. And I don't deserve any of it. When I I really look back at my life honestly and and I look at who I am, How could I even think of asking for this much? When I'm truly vulnerable, vulnerable about my attitude towards my wife, 
or my thoughts towards people who annoy me. Or how sometimes I I choose not to read my Bible just because I don't feel like it. I see this broken shell of a man who doesn't really know what he's doing. I would be happy with any bit of Jesus I can get. But God doesn't give me the bare minimum, but the full, unadulterated, complete blessing of his love and affection and grace by allowing me to come into his presence when I die and glory in him forever. This is the king that I serve. This is the king that I serve. How could I not want to do half the good that Josiah did because of this? God deserves all of my worship. He deserves all of my life. And I love him with everything that I can because of what he's done for me. And this is my story. And this can be your story too. If you just come to King Jesus and you tell him that he is the Lord of your life and the Savior of your soul. And so the same sin that killed King Josiah will kill you. But the same king that saved King Josiah can save you. The same God that covered King Josiah's life in grace who has also covered mine in grace and many of yours as well. He wants to cover yours in grace. He loves you deeply. He loves you more than you could possibly know. And when you come to trust Jesus as your personal savior, who loves you so much that he gave up his life and died a horrific, torturous death for you, when you do this simple thing and you trust him, for forgiveness and salvation, your life is no more defined by sin than Josiah's was. Your life is defined by Jesus, the only perfect king who ever lived, and God adopts you as his child, and he calls you his son or his daughter. And this is the gospel. So I asked you a question the very beginning. Have you ever gotten what you deserved? All of us deserve to die. King Josiah died for his sin. But God, who is holy and merciful and loving, allows some of us to know him in the same way that Josiah did, as his Lord and Savior, so that we get exactly the opposite of what we deserve. And that's the best news I've ever gotten. So come to Jesus. Come to Jesus if you're tired of this life. Come to Jesus if you're weighed down by sin and by guilt. Come to Jesus when you're tired and you're depressed and defeated, hopeless and confused. And come to him if you're not. Come to him when you mess up big and your mountaintop moment suddenly becomes a slow, painful crawl through the valley because he wants you to. Josiah's life is an example of how holy God is and how sinful people are, but how gracious God is and how fortunate we are. So when you feel like doing your own thing, know that it's not what God has for you. Take the sin in your life seriously. Grieve it. But also take comfort in the fact that every time we sin, we can turn away from the sin towards Jesus and ask him for forgiveness. He's the only hope we have. But what more could we ask for?